0: Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I am so excited for my guest today. Today, I am talking to Dr. Jessica Higgins. Dr. Higgins holds two graduate degrees in psychology, two coaching certifications, and she has over 20 years of experience helping clients achieve successful results. As the host of the Empowered Relationship Podcast, she helps people navigate the terrain of long-lasting intimacy more skillfully and mindfully. Through her coaching and online course, clients transform pain into love and connection. Welcome, Dr. Higgins. I'm so happy to have you here today.
1: I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me and just sharing this time to have this conversation together.
0: Yeah, I was really interested in your work. Um, we, I think we do very similar work, but what really I was interested in is you seem to have this special niche in criticism. And I think that is really one of the biggest things I see in my practice, one of the biggest problems. And I'm sure you as well. And I know I've been doing this work for 30 years off and on with couples, and I think it's, Not only one of the most prevalent things, but also one of the most damaging things in a relationship. And Dr. Gottman, who is so well-revered, he even calls it one of the four horsemen. And so I want you to kind of spend a little bit of time talking about how relationships go from warm and connected and positive. I've got sons in their 20s, and I see them in like new love or new like, and everything's so, you know, there's no criticism to where I work with couples who've been married 5, 10, 25 years, and there's so much criticism. So how do we get
1: from there to there? Mm, I love that question. And I agree with you. In the beginning stages of love, as you know and many people talk about, there's a lot of support in the way of neurochemicals, neurotransmitters, and our hopes and dreams get projected onto the other and we fill in the blank, right? So we actually don't know them through all seasons, how they show up with a upset when they're scared, when they're angry. And what starts to happen after about 18 months average is mm-hmm. these differences start to emerge. And what that requires of, uh, of us is that we be able to negotiate these differences. And I would say by and large, We get taught a lot about power over, right? How to win. Mm. And a lot of our structures that we're familiar with is how to be dominant or that there's one winner, essentially, in that paradigm. And so when we enter into relationship, it's a different way of relating. It's relational. Mm -hmm. And many of us haven't known how to negotiate that in a way that both people are valued. So we approach the conversation almost as if there's one winner, maybe, maybe. That could be one component, not maybe for everyone. But the second thing is we're often surprised by, oh, this is who you are. I did not know that. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like this disillusionment and we become a little more awake to these differences that might feel threatening. Because the third component is that when we are feeling some level of threat or hurt, we typically, as you know, it's human to point to the thing that hurts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yet when on the receiving end, if we can see in our partner that they're having a hard time through co-regulation, we're seeing the microfacial expressions, we're seeing mm-hmm. the tone or hearing the tone of voice, the posturing, and we're like, Oh, they're upset. Like that mm-hmm. I I'm cute, I'm hip to. Because yeah. we're just always co-regulating and tracking. And then when the content is through the pointing which on the receiving end it feels like you yeah then we feel responsible for our partner's distress yeah. and and what is being vocalized we might not agree with right we mm-hmm. might find it as a mischaracterization or a misunderstanding and the the inclination is to want to defend oh no if you only understood Right. So it's the content. That's
0: what I just wrote down. I wrote down criticism and defensiveness. I get, they just go hand in hand.
1: Hand in hand. They're a vicious loop. Mm -hmm. And so when we address the content, right, it's almost, I've been on the receiving end. If you only understood, let me help clarify, but this is, this is easy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let me just explain. And then this will clear everything because we're meeting it with content and content. Yeah. But typically what's happening is, When the person that is leading with the criticism, again, it's very human to Mm -hmm. want to address the thing that hurts, especially with the one we love. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We want to feel reassured. We want to feel comforted. We want to feel relieved of whatever that ouch is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's natural to want to turn to the other. And when we turn to the other with the point, right, we just talked about how they're likely to get defensive. But the other thing that's happening is they don't actually know what the significance of that is. If Mm -hmm. I address the content, my partner doesn't know what that means to me and why I'm having emotion about it. And so we typically, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes into, and even some pause. And like when I'm on the, when I'm in the position of wanting to point with the criticism, I will feel my nervous system activated and if I go that direction, I'm likely to tell him about himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not in my lane. I tell him about himself and he's likely to get defensive, as we just talked about. But bigger, bigger yet is he has no idea why I'm charged about it. Mm. I can take a little time to kind of deepen into pause, whether or not it's talking to a friend, whether or not it's turning to paper and pen and getting a sense of like first layer of the narrative. And I might be right around all the things that he did that I don't like, but then what it means to me, where I go, what it reminds me of, what the emotion is, the significance, then that's the thing that is usually the underbelly. Yeah. And do you think people even usually know what that is? No, I don't even. I mean, look, I we, we're both well-trained to have a lot of experience. and I teach this stuff all the time and it's human. It's so human to want to address the threat. And I have to pause and do some reflective accessing to get in touch with those deeper layers. It's not visible usually out of the gate.
0: So what i hear you saying is part of learning to be less critical is to be less
1: reactive. Yes. And to give space for there's possibly a deeper need or a longing yeah that we're not quite in touch with. Yeah. It's almost if we ask the question on a surface level And just even, this could be even a pause of catching the reaction if the reaction is just to want to spat off, is to, well, what would my partner doing X, Y, and Z, whatever that complaint is, what would that allow me to feel? Mm because there's something in it for me that is of great significance that likely I'm not in touch with. And really this for me is such a golden nugget because if I can access that inside myself, I feel the internal shift of like, oh, this is why I'm charged or like, oh, this makes sense why I have so much energy around this. And I can honor that for myself. But then the golden piece of real in relationship is my partner loves me. And he cares about me and he wants to show up. So if I can show him what it means to me and he's not having to defend all these attacks that are coming at him, then he's more likely to respond to my need or my concern or my fear. And that's really what I wanted in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What does the research show or what are some of the long-term impacts of habitual criticism on a relationship?
1: Well you mentioned Gottman's Insti- or Gottman Institute research and John Gottman and he does talk about that this is part of the slippery slope and he labels the couples that really don't make it disasters Mm -hmm. and the couples that do make it the masters. And Mm -hmm. he really helps us identify what are the moves that we make that really contribute to demise or breakup? And what are the moves that we make to really cultivate happy, lasting love? And you're right. Criticism and defensiveness are two of the four Mm -hmm. that he really underscores as major problematic behaviors. And, and then they
0: lead to contempt, which is the last, right? I mean, once you're at contempt, and and I think the contempt, don't you think it comes from habitual criticism and defensiveness it, often?
1: Yes, because what happens here is there's a negative cycle. So if I turn to, if let's say you're my partner, if I turn to you and I have an ouch, and I'm pointing to it, saying look. But it's you that I'm pointing to. Yeah. Right. And if you're feeling defensive because I come to you with this emotion and then I'm pointing to you, you're likely to get defensive. But really, the net result of that is I'm reaching to you
0: in the yeah. hopes that you'll
1: respond. And when you don't see and hear me and I don't get my need met, then I feel alone. Mm -hmm. Then if we're having conflict, not only am I alone with the thing that hurts, but now we're adversaries almost. We're like against each other. And so that creates this distance and this disconnect when really we partner in modern day society to Mm -hmm. feel this sense of emotional intimacy and bondage. So the very thing that I need you for. And then if we put this on any length of Mm accumulation, how many times in a day, how many times in a week, month, years, right you talk mm-hmm. about couples that have developed patterns and habituated mm-hmm. over years there's mm-hmm. a cumulative effect here that i don't yeah. i this sentiment of like i don't see you as an ally i don't trust that you're going to yeah. respond to me i don't trust that you're available to me and that you're going to engage with me in the things that matter the most mm-hmm. therefore i start to see you as somebody that's not as meaningful not so much as a person but as far as this bond yeah. the bond really up in question. And then we have protective strategies of how we manage and I tend to withhold or I might turn away or I have certain ways that I negotiate feeling okay, but not turning towards you. And then Mm -hmm. you might read those cues of protection as like, oh, I'm not valuing you. And it's just, again, this slippery slope. projection. Yeah.
0: Well, and I mean, it makes you feel very lonely, even if you're in a committed long-term relationship. And because as humans, we need that connection. I mean, the title of this podcast is called Connecting. It's what we as humans need, what we long for. I hear a lot of my clients, and I'm sure you see this, is they say, all right, I'm going to look for that connection elsewhere. And it's not always an extra relationship, in, you know, an extra affair or extramarital affair, or extra relationship affair. Sometimes it's, Online validation. Sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's, you know, just trying to go to our friends or other people to meet those needs that our partner's not meeting. But it still just further diminishes the relationship and increases, you know, the loneliness in that at home or in that relationship. And the trust that we can count yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a huge thing that's right yeah so one of the things that I love you have this wonderful wonderful free PDF that people can go sign up and we'll put the link in the show notes so people can do that about shifting criticism for connected relationships and you know I've studied this for a long time myself but there was something that really really surprised me and mm-hmm. I'm Humble enough to admit that I was like, oh crap, I do that all the time to my husband, and I didn't know I was being critical. And so, I want to talk about you know, sometimes people think that criticism is simply pointing out another person's bad habits, but it can be very, very subtle. So, like, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I wrote down here that I was so surprised oh, trying to manage the other. Oh, Jessica, I think I do that. I think I do that a lot. Can you
1: talk about that and why it's actually critical? Okay. Well, first of all, Kim, I want to <laughs> acknowledge that couples have many ways that they have organized and agreed upon dynamics. So it might be that he has actually solicited your yeah. managing. He, he maybe wants you to... <laughs> Where the key difference is, is when it's unsolicited. Gotcha. We're getting out of our lane. We're trying to give unsolicited feedback to our significant other. This is the game changer because we don't partner to be critiqued, to be evaluated. I mean, when we enter into a program or agree to do a job or be employed by our organization or whatever it is that the goal is, even take tennis coaching lessons. Mm-hmm. We know the arrangement is that we're going to be getting hopefully constructive feedback, but that's yeah. part of the, the the development. Right. When we enter into relationship and this relational back and forth, we want to feel again as we're speaking to seen, loved, valued, we want to feel that bondedness. It's not about, oh, I'm trying to better myself and have the, I don't see you as my teacher as someone that's supposed to kind of help me. Right? (laughs) Right. And so when it's unsolicited, that's where it can be really problematic.
0: Okay. I'm so glad you made that point because yeah, as I look at some of these, I'm like, okay, I, yeah, it is kind of in, I guess the dynamic of the relationship, whether it's acceptable or agreed upon or, you know, and sometimes you would want some of these. So, yeah. So talk about, let's talk about some of the ones though, that people may not recognize that could be
1: critical. Well, let's just use what you're saying because this difference between solicited managing and unsolicited, like they're in relationships, especially when you have a level of history and trust together and you have a foundation, there can be a collaborative process where I'm great at this and I'm not so great at this, right? And yes. we learn how to complement each other. And so we're efficient about, okay, you're really great at this, you head up that, and I'll head up this, right? That can be an, a, an arrangement. And to your point, I would say most people, though, when they're managing through more impulse, if I will, or it's mm-hmm. more of a tendency there's a desire to control externally so that it will help alleviate the internal stress. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the critical tendencies get wrapped up is I don't trust you Mm. to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to manage you, or I don't think you're doing it well enough or the implied messages. It's not good enough the way that you do it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this overarching theme of I'm, critical, I'm controlling, I am managing, but it's from this place of fear underneath. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that is very problematic for relational dynamics as we were just talking about. Oh, that makes so much sense.
0: I always tell stories on here because my listeners say they like them and they illustrate the point. And again, I'm going to be really transparent. And this is something I noticed the last couple of weeks I've been doing to my husband. And I, I just shared with you before we went live that I had Major surgery a couple weeks ago. So my husband's had to do all these things that I do. He's had to do the cooking, the laundry, the a lot of the housework. And so I think that's why that one jumped out at me because I'm trying to tell him how to do it, partly because it usually is my area of domain, but you hit on this thing about I had a lot of anxiety around my surgery. I was afraid I wasn't going to wake up. I was afraid of what they were going to find. I had My anxiety level was really high when it usually isn't. And so it probably, I, I was trying to manage to calm my anxiety. Plus it was generally my area of domain. But until we talked about this right now, I had no idea. And that goes back to the first point is that this criticism, sometimes we don't even know where it's coming from in us. And so examining it, taking the time for some self reflection to see where it's coming from, being aware of it
1: will certainly help us not do it in the future. Yes. And helps us get our need met because Kim, I imagine your husband sounds like he's very much wanting to help.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: if he knew, oh, I'm scared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When
1: we can drop into that. That's a direct response to the thing that is really alive. Yeah. And, and again, we did
0: talk about it last night. It's funny. Right. He came in and he said, he goes, You were really scared before surgery. You were really afraid. I'm not waking up. And I said, yeah. And he goes, but you wouldn't have known if you didn't wake up. I'm like, that doesn't, help. <laughs> but we finally talked about it. It's been three weeks, but we finally, and yeah, it would Now he never got mad. He never said you're trying to manage. Sure. I'm sure it was frustrating, but I've become aware. And I think, I'm going to really encourage our listeners to go in and sign up for this list Mm. because there are ways that probably they are being critical that maybe they don't realize they are. And if they kind of look at this list and maybe spend some time journaling or just reflecting, they'll really realize like what emotions are underneath that for them, what hurt and how they can kind of not be as critical.
1: Yes. And I would say, you know, as you're describing in your marriage and relationship, there's a lot of security and goodwill. So in a heightened phase of stress, right, where you're having major surgery and he can tolerate this yeah. kind of feeling of like, oh, you know, I can tell something's going on, but, you know, and, and just be patient and give a lot of room. Yeah. And when we don't have that stability, that security, these interactions can be highly threatening. Or we don't have the history as we talked about in the twenty six years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've done. You've you've earned it. You've <laughs> earned this for sure. Yeah. And so, for a new couple, yeah, right, this is not as established. The roots are not as deep, and so we don't have as much. Capacity sometimes to tolerate these moments of getting off track. And so this is not only something to pay attention to as we're talking about how the criticism and defensiveness can get us into disconnect, but also when we can reveal, take that pause and recognize what is it that we're wanting? What is it that the need is
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: helps our partner, A, respond to us, Mm -hmm. And helps us feel seen and heard and helps us feel like, oh, they do have our back and they're willing to help. And the bigger thing is we cultivate trust, right? We were talking about that over time, I build confidence that if I can be vulnerable, take that emotional risk, reveal that underbelly, which might not always be easy, has been terrifying for me at times to share the thing that I'm not proud of or the thing that I'm scared about and to have my partner turn towards that.
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: over time, the shaping of that, that earns a lot of trust and confidence and stability and security in the bond.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that you have, it's a pretty big list, but can you share one or two other ones that maybe people would be surprised? You know, like here's one prioritizing performance and your example of being critical is why did you make people so uncomfortable tonight? You tell the dumbest jokes. I hope you know people don't appreciate them. Can you, you know, And again, obviously people know that's criticism, but can you talk about kind of that category and where s- some things like that might come? And then how would they, maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they were at a work party and their spouse drank too much and was kind of loud. How would you handle that without being critical, but being more connected and proactive?
1: Hmm. There's so much to your question. I know. (laughs) Well, I want to back up and say a lot of the times there are many contributing factors of how we develop this critical tendency. One can be that we grow up in environments. I would bargain to say most Westerners, especially in the U S have gone to school, some form Mm -hmm. of schooling or been a part of sports, or are working in a job, and there's certain benchmarks. And so the critical thinking is highly valued and is necessary. So this is not something that we want to fully do away with. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking skills, right? This is something that in college, they'll say, I'm not even so much what the content it is, the ability to think critically, right. right? So this is, there's a lot of discernment and the the critical intellect that we value and we need. So mm-hmm. we don't want to totally throw this away. The underside of this or what I really want to call into complementing this is the emotional intelligence, the inner space of relating through emotions, because as I mentioned, we're always tracking each other through co-regulation and that and again the the communication is largely high 80 percent of nonverbals tone mm-hmm. of voice facial expression so when we are relating knowing mm-hmm. that emotion is a big part of that communication learning how to be connected to that in a way of like, I, like we're talking about knowing it. So mm-hmm. sometimes we're if we're not in the practice of being even aware of how we feel, we might not even be conscious to it. Mm-hmm. And so I know this is a lot of information, but I just want to say if we grow up in a family environment where we observed our parents being more performance oriented where they didn't really talk about their emotions, or as a family, emotions weren't really welcomed. There wasn't a lot of emotional attunement to help, you know, validate the emotion, organize the emotion, and then how to deal with the emotion, right? Sometimes kids are really at a loss around, oh, emotions I just go to my room with or I just stuff them down, or I just got to build up thicker skin, or emotions are a weakness. Like these messages we sometimes get, and then you add in all the schooling and job and all the other things. So we don't have a lot of experience of how to relate with this emotional vulnerability, this emotional reveal, and also attunement. And that that is important and, and necessary because yeah. again if we go back why we bond is that emotional bondedness and intimacy part of cultivating that intimacy is this ability to share our inner worlds and when we haven't known how to do that or haven't gotten a lot of support to do that we can be it can feel like putting on the gas and the brake at the same time like mm-hmm. i want to be emotionally intimate but i also know everything in me tells me Not to be vulnerable or not share my emotional world. So, going Mm -hmm. back to your question around performance, this is just the habitual state, is the intellect, right? Mm -hmm. Critique, kind of identify, fix, manage, right? It's all we've gotten so much accolades, so much reinforcement, so much success through the intellect. But when we want emotional intimacy, we try to approach it from that same tendency when, in fact, we need this. Sharing of the emotional inner world and to be able to cultivate safety to also hear our partner's emotional world and relate and connect and have intimacy in that realm. Mm-hmm. And it's really foreign and really scary. And then, more specifically, to your question around someone who has a partner? Let's say they drink in excess, and it's an important meeting. The inclination could be again to want, and could be right, right? Mm-hmm. How drinks? How many drinks you had? And mm-hmm. the content the situation of that is problematic, and I'm not okay, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And again, in a kind of secure, like a relationship that you're describing, or with my husband, I think that could even be permitted. Like, I don't think it's gonna whittle away at the bond. And the deeper feeling, if we can access that, that we're trying to encourage is these people mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And I am perhaps trying to work on this promotion. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared that if they see your drinking, that they're going to have concern or wonder about the stability of our bond and what they might associate or infer by that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I you and I mean a lot to me and our marriage means a lot to me. And if we're, if they perceive it not being okay, like that feels like a threat for Mm -hmm. the promotion. I'm making this up.
0: No, I know, but it's so perfect. And that's exactly, that was exactly kind of what I was asking you is that, you know, I think it's again, and I didn't think of these words in preparing for this interview, but it's Reactive versus proactive to really, it's not that you avoid the conversation or you avoid the hurt or the behavior or the emotions. It's that you have to say it in a safer more we-centered way than an accusatory, and and Gottman calls it complaining versus criticizing. And for a lot of my clients, that's really hard to get, but I think your example was so beautiful, especially off the cuff, you know,
1: like that, Mm -hmm. which tells me you have so much practice doing this. Well, and I have found too, Kim, that again, when we set this up where there is a reveal. yeah. And we have that, you know, sometimes we have the trust. We know our partner loves us and we know they want to help us. Sometimes in the beginning stages, we're not entirely sure. So it's a huge emotional risk. And that if we are setting it up so that they're more likely to respond, because what happens is, let's say I'm on the receiving end. If my significant other is telling me with charge, Mm -hmm. what he has issue with, and that it looks like it's my fault, I am like, oh no, right. Yeah. Even though, you know, I even trust that we're good, I still feel that alert of like, whoa, yeah. he's not okay. I did something wrong. And then I'm like trying to manage this. Yeah. But if he comes to me and says, Oh, here's the here's the situation, here's the content, and here's what it means for me. It's a much easier lean like abil- like a way for me to reach into him and like support him, lean into him. I don't mean reach into him. I mean just yeah. he's reaching to me and I'm responding. It's an easier. Yeah. Opportunity for me to lead into what he's saying and want to help. I can feel that direct, oh, I care about you. I love you. And oh, I feel bad that you're feeling this way. Because it's he's revealing his side of it. Yeah. And I want to help. But if he is talking about me and I disagree with him again, I'm going to want to argue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard for people to do that
1: in the moment, though. Oh, hands down. Mm -hmm. And I think it's again, human of us. I think it's natural for us. And I think this is where, you know, recommendation of calming the nervous system is about 20 minutes, Mm
0: -hmm. whether or
1: not it's going for a walk, whether or not it's journaling, calling a friend, trusted friend Mm -hmm. to help the nervous system calm, but also get the prefrontal cortex online where we can have emotional awareness and consider what they might be feeling and consider what we're feeling and then do this deeper work around what is it that this really means to me and the significance around this, then we have our balance. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then we can approach these conversations. Because if if the goal is really to feel relieved and to feel our partner respond to us, right? Again, it's human for us to want to get that relief immediately. We don't Mm want to sustain any level of discomfort the, on a human level we're seeking pleasure or avoiding pain at all times mm-hmm. right and so if we're feeling pain we want to get relief from that like we were talking about
0: mm-hmm.
1: but if we've been around the block enough to know oh if i lead with that complaint or lead with that criticism i'm likely not helping my partner understand the deeper need so they're going to have more direct access to ha- what to respond to it's like really they have to decode it when it's criticism Right. And most people are not great. I mean, it's a full on ninja move yeah. to be able to like get the criticism. No, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's something's going on with you. Let me get curious about what's going on with you, and let me bypass this criticism that just mm-hmm. feels like an attack that just came yeah. and really not respond to that. Like that's yeah. a whole like matrix move, right? So to really help your partner is to give them direct access to this underneath part, the deeper need or longing. Yeah,
0: and and having you found in working with your clients. And I I see with mine and, and with me and not just with my romantic partner, but, you know, even with my children and friendships and everything, because criticism isn't reserved for romantic relationships. It's mother, daughter, it's father, son, it's, you know, it goes everywhere. It's in friendships and siblings. And so don't you find that the more you practice... Those alternative ways of communicating, you know, accessing the emotion. And I mean, you just give such a beautiful example. And that's in that made up scenario of maybe, mm-hmm. you know, wanting the promotion and my colleagues, you know, thinking this. Don't you find that the more you do that every day in your relationships, it just kind of becomes second nature? And so you don't have to work so hard at it.
1: I agree that if we are flexing these muscles, that we become stronger. Absolutely. And I think that if we're starting the learning curve of this, that I would recommend starting with smaller, like on a scale from one to 10 issues that are maybe a two or a three. Mm -hmm. And- cultivating safety, because if we take this emotional risk and we reveal the underbelly and someone's not entirely safe, right? In these beginning stages, they might not know how to respond or, you know, maybe there's something else going on and they're, they don't have the capacity to really be engaged, Mm -hmm. right? That can actually be painful. Very, very painful. It feels like rejection. As you said, we feel alone. And so as we build muscles around this, we, as we have a positive experience, it motivates us to take further risks. And as we continue to practice, we get stronger. And I think it changes the system that we then have a climate where we value this and we can start doing these high level ninja moves, so to speak. And if we're in practice, we potentially can say, and catch the criticism. Oh, tell me, like, we have much more capacity and understanding to be like, well, tell me what that means for you. Or what would that be right. for you? Or right. I hear you, and can you tell me more about where you went with that? Like, where mm-hmm. are you going in your mind? Or where did you go emotionally? Or what, what significance or help me with um, how come this matters so much? Yeah. And yeah. then we start to be able to support each other in accessing those deeper layers. And I, I wouldn't start with that, but that could be the the climate that gets developed that we have a trust and we have a love and we have a practice around this that we can call each other into it.
0: Yeah. Cause sometimes when I'm trying to teach these skills to my clients, this, or, or even teaching them like empathic responding, they'll say, it sounds so awkward. It feels it's not me. This isn't me as though like harsh criticism is them or should be them. And it takes a while for them to kind of, I say, try it on. And I, I always advise just like you, like try it on with your (laughs) four-year-old, <laughs> try it on with someone at the grocery store, you know, try, try it in these like safer ways until it feels more natural, but it's always going to be beneficial to the relationship. And it just is, like you said, it's just kind of developing that muscle because it feels so awkward in the beginning to really have to think think about your communication and rephrase things in a way that is more unifying in your relationship than kind of pointing the finger.
1: Yes. And if I can add, if it's just the language and Mm -hmm. the crafting of it, that is going to feel a level of awkwardness and even emptiness, if I can even. oh Yeah. It can't be just that. Yeah. I think for me, if I can get in touch again with what is it that I'm revealing
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: How I get there. I would say, if I say less, less is more like the mm-hmm. thing I'm not proud of. And here's I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. I'm you know, embarrassed or yeah. whatever it is. Like if, yeah. if quicker I can get to that, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be eye statements. right? It can be, here's, you know, in the context that we're having a hard time with, we both agree that this has been a hard situation. Here's where I went. Let me just help. It's almost like being emotionally naked or even imagine yes. you pressing this button and your skin turns to glass and like you get to see, you know, not so much your veins and organs and all of that, but if it's the emotional depiction of this whole inner world, it's like helping them get a sense of that world. And that's the goal. Right. And but so that's when,
0: why I think people say it feels so uncomfortable. Yes. You know?
1: Yes, Kim, because one of the things I was thinking is it's so much safer to mm-hmm. tell you ideas and thoughts and opinions and, and so-called insights I have about yeah. it. That's so yeah. much safer to talk about the thinking and the narrative and the story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is very emotionally vulnerable to take these risks.
0: But again, I think as as you do that and it works, it becomes easier.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think that if we practice it, we can find our own language. It's like anything, like I would say anything's awkward in the learning curve. The first, sure. you're just trying something on, trying to ride a bike for the first time. Yeah. It felt awful or, yeah. you know, getting in a car and all the things to do when you're like first time driving, like none, that doesn't feel comfortable. There's a certain level of, yeah. like we're both saying, being able to practice to get strong in it.
0: Yeah. And the reason I bring that up here in the podcast and I bring it up in my practice and I'm sure you do, too, is that I I just want people to realize that's not an excuse for not changing because anything feels awkward. Because sometimes that's my clients will say, you know, I'll give them some homework to do some of these things and they'll come back and they'll say, well, we did it, but it felt really uncomfortable. It felt really awkward. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, okay, but that's not a reason to stop. Mm -hmm you know, it's a reason to kind of keep going. It doesn't necessarily have to feel comfortable to be productive for your relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that, you know, as guiding professionals it yeah. can be helpful for people to have the experience right in in session and just to be able to be able to look at each other's face and take that risk and to feel supported and to look at what gets in the way and the blocks around what makes that really hard right if we've had really maybe even traumatic experiences where this has felt unsafe to reveal the emotional underbelly and what's on the line or the, like we've been talking about, maybe there's habitual patterns that have been in play. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't trust that you're going to be there. I don't trust that you're going to listen. Or I feel like, you know, you snubbed me earlier. Like mm-hmm. I feel super protective and I, my, I can't bring down my walls. Like there's lots of good reasons why this is terrifying and hard.
0: Yeah. Well, along those lines, let me ask you this. I guess I have two two kind of questions as we start to wrap up here. Do you ever think it's too late or impossible to repair criticism in relationships? And I know that's like a yes, no question, and and there's no like total yes or no, but can you address that at least?
1: I would suggest for people that have been in this dynamic and in negative cycles for lengths of time to get support because there are so many moving parts and it can be a lot for one person to try to change the system. And what people sometimes do is they like listen to a podcast or they'll read a book and they're like, okay, I'm going to try to facilitate something new and it's hard to manage oneself and then try to facilitate the relationship and even maybe facilitate the partner all yeah. at the same time. Like we're human. And I would say, you know, my husband and I have gotten support many, many times, mm-hmm. and I do my own therapy. I really am trying to walk the talk as well. Mm-hmm. So for people that are really feeling this sense of questioning the relationship, this doesn't feel safe, I would get support. And if it is really erring on the side of like, I'm, this is not okay, right? The boundaries, I think it's really important that if a partner is crossing a boundary or let's say in this example, if my husband is elevating his voice or escalating and I notice inside myself, I'm responding and starting to feel that activation, I will call it and say, I'm noticing I'm having a hard time listening or I'm starting to feel scared or I will leave. Like we have agreements, but yeah. I'm not going, I'm not gonna participate in something that feels painful or scary or hard. And really truthfully, when one person stops playing a part of the dynamic, it changes the whole dance, right? It's mm-hmm. like one person changes the moves, you can't dance in the same way. Right. So I think that's having. Limits, having boundaries can really help getting some clarity around what's going on on your end and then getting support for the relationship are all really key because most people, when they're really contemplating the relationship are going back and forth, Mm -hmm. right? And then there are people that have really left the relationship. So they're Mm -hmm. staying in it, but they are emotionally left.
0: Yeah. On my intake, that's one question. Have you psychologically or emotionally left the relationship? And the other kind of um, litmus test for me is, do you still respect your partner as a person, not just as like a dad or an employee or, but as it, because those two will tell us a
1: lot, right. About how far gone it is. Yeah, exactly. And if someone has emotionally left or has no respect, that's a lot of work and almost is, I, I would not, I'm not saying it's like impossible. Yeah. Yeah but it's very difficult to have somebody turn back towards a relationship when they have emotionally left.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, it's important to at least have that assessment of this is where we are because it is going to be a bigger commitment and a longer term commitment. If you're that far down the road, one of the things that I hadn't really planned on asking, but it's coming up as we're talking, I'm thinking about this, that I think our listeners are probably wondering, are there people, are there circumstances of people that are just going to be more prone to criticism, no matter what, that that's going to be their MO, like people who maybe had traumatic childhoods or people who have insecurity or narcissism or, you know, can you kind of talk about that, that, you know, where criticism might be just more prevalent for some people?
1: Mm, I think there are many, 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 many factors. And I do go through that. I do have a course that I created that helps people understand, you know, some people when they set out and they've gotten feedback from maybe more than one person that they're critical, Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm going to stop criticizing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they just try to use will to stop. And there are a lot of things that actually contributed to that development. Mm -hmm. I think I definitely think that narcissism would potentially play a part in Mm -hmm. that for sure. I think even something as simple as extroversion versus introversion, Mm -hmm. right? Someone who thinks out loud is more likely to comment Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and not do that inner process first, where an introvert might think before they talk and have Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a tendency just personality wise. And then as we've already mentioned with family, if you were brought up in a very driven, More intellectual home or a home that was tough and strong and Mm -hmm. hardworking and had a lot of grit.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Maybe emotions weren't really held and seen, and there wasn't a lot of space for that. Mm -hmm. But that is absolutely going to inform and shape how someone relates in relationship. And then if we add, I've had a lot of clients who are executives, attorneys, Mm -hmm. scientists, insurer, like risk assessors, like. When we do something for a living that requires, yes, requires these levels of thinking and assessing and critiquing, it's difficult to sometimes, I mean, talk about muscle building (laughs) their whole career and all day they're flexing these muscles. And so it feels like a really big gift. And so when they come to relationship and they're wanting to fix or offer critique, it feels like their superpower And then when it falls flat, it's like, why did that not work? Like, this is something that I'm highly praised and valued and feel success in, and it's not working. Mm -hmm. I feel like incredibly destabilizing. So there are many things. And I think that this critical tendency, we get a dopamine hit from, it can feel almost like an addiction because when you talked about it feeling awkward and I was commenting that it's safer to be in the head, it mm-hmm. also is this quick release, right? This impulse to like get a quick to yeah. almost put down and it does harken back to that power struggle, right? Yeah. When you have the, the framework that, oh, there's one person that's going to win or yeah, we can't both be seen in this, right? And so hence I need to fire off that there can be almost an addictive quality to it because, I mean, it does activate different parts of our brain. Yeah. In, in the school.
0: short term, it feels mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. I said lawyers there because I have a disproportionately high number of attorneys that come to me for help. I don't know if it's where I live in Houston or I just have a reputation, but I have a lot of attorneys in my practice and I noticed their spouses, their partners will often say like, you're not, don't lawyer me, don't lawyer me. Um, because they're so used to arguing, to pointing out the downfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not always like courtroom lawyer or, you know, courtroom attorneys either. It, it, in business, you're always looking for the flaw. You're always looking for the, the loophole or the way to win, the way to win the argument or the case or whatever it is. And so they have to be careful not to bring that to their relationship. So, yeah, I, I Realize as we we're talking, that's another sort of propensity towards this style of, I, I was going to say connecting, but not. it's not connecting, it's disconnecting. Well, and it's, we're almost
1: using, as I mentioned, I, I'm giggling about the phrase superpower, but it's something we have a strength in and we're trying to apply that to a different environment. Right. And again, I think we don't have a lot of development in the relational skills and it is an entirely different way of relating that. Yeah really critical to having this sense of security and emotional intimacy and bondedness.
0: Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed this conversation and I know our listeners will get a lot out of it. What else are you working on that you want to tell us or where can our listeners find you on social media, your website?
1: (laughs) My website is drjessicahiggins.com. That's doctor with a DR. And I think the best place to connect would be through the podcast that I'm the host of, which is Empowered Relationship Podcast. And I deliver a lot of the content in the beginning. I think I did the first 200 episodes. And now I feature a lot of other guests as well. And it's a way to just further feel supported in this journey of long lasting intimacy.
0: Mm -hmm. And we'll put links to all of that in our show notes. And what day does your podcast come out? Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Okay. All right. So people can find new ones every Tuesday. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot and I know our listeners will too. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's been such a great pleasure to share this time with you and have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe, And leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area.